Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Hebrews chapter 10. We have been studying righteousness for a good while now. I'll share a couple of things with you that we've already talked about and use it as a springboard for where the Lord wants to take us this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's just start with verse 38. We're going to read down into the 11th chapter. It says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back under perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds of the ages were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are made were not things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. Without faith it's impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now go back, if you will, to verse 38. <clears throat> said, Now the just shall live by faith. As I've shared with you, that word just could also be translated righteous. It's the same word in the Greek. Now the righteous shall live by faith. And I've given you the classic definition, the theological definition of righteousness. Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of a holy God without guilt, without fear, without condemnation. Again, it is the ability to stand in the presence of a holy God without guilt, without fear, and without condemnation. But I want you to understand also that righteousness is more than just a legal legal standing before God. Righteousness is a spiritual force. That's designed to have an effect in our lives. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul was praying for the church at Philippi. In verse 11, he said this, "...being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God." Anything that bears fruit is alive. Anything that bears fruit is a living thing. Righteousness is more than just a position before God. It is a spiritual force. It is a living thing. And as we've already talked about, it's designed to affect the way that we think. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, Paul is writing, he says, "...be renewed in the spirit of your mind." In other words, your whole attitude has to be changed. 
And that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and in true holiness. Righteousness as it begins to work on the inside of us begins to create a hunger and it begins to create a desire for God. Of course, you're all familiar with Matthew 5, 6 where Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Righteousness creates a hunger for God. It creates a desire for God. Now let me just tie some scriptures here. I'm going to shoot them up on the screen, but let me tie something together here because I want you to see this. In John 3.14, Jesus is talking about going to the cross, and He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus compared Himself to the serpent that Moses hung on the pole for the nation of Israel to be healed. He compared himself to that snake. And we've talked about this, and, and the reason that he did that was 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. On Jesus hung the sin of the whole world, you know that. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. But what I want you to see, when Jesus said in John 3.14, talking about being lifted up, that was not the only place that he talked about going to the cross or being lifted up. In John 12.32 he said, And I, if I be lifted up, Or when I go to the cross, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. When righteousness begins to work in your life, it creates a drawing action toward God. There is a hunger for God. There is a desire for God. There is a pull toward God. A hunger, if you will. And I've shared this with you before, but let me make this statement to you again. All spiritual movement begins with spiritual hunger. All spiritual movement begins with spiritual hunger. In order to make any headway with God, there has to be a hunger for God. We've got a lady that has been part of our ministry for years. Probably, well, at least 20 years that I can remember. Um... Well, actually longer than that, probably closer to 25 years. Um, <clears throat> she called the other day. She was visiting with Cindy on the phone. And she told Cindy, she said, I was just in a dark place. And she said, it seemed the further I went, the darker things got. You ever been there? Just in a dark place. And she said, I got to a point I didn't want to pray. I, she said, I did it because I felt like it was my duty. But I, just, I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to get in the Word. I didn't want to do anything. She said, I just was in this dark place and just fighting depression and all kinds of things. And she said, I was in this dark place. And she said, I started crying out to God. And the Lord said, I want you to listen to this particular CD. One of my CDs. I want you to listen to this CD. And she said, I don't want to listen to that CD. I get that a lot. 
I don't want to listen to that CD. The Lord kept bugging her. Listen to that CD. Well, they went back and forth for a while. Finally, she put the CD in and started listening to it. And in that particular CD, I made the statement just what I made to you. All spiritual movement begins with spiritual hunger. And if you're not hungry for God, ask God to make you hungry. So she did that. She said, God, I'm asking you to make me hungry. That's all she said. (laughs) A few days later, or a short time later, she had a vision. And God started showing her some things that were going on around her in the Spirit. Started showing her angelic activity that was going on around her. That God was moving in her behalf. And God supernaturally dropped hunger back inside her spirit. And all of that comes from the righteousness of God. It all comes from righteousness working inside us. Righteousness draws us toward God. So with that in mind, look here at verse 38 again. It says, The just or the righteous shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And I, I've shared this with you before, but that word draw back in the Greek is a medical word that's used of withholding food from a patient so that he dies. That's very interesting. And God is using that of Himself. Did you realize, do you realize that God is hungry for your fellowship? Are you aware of that? God wants to fellowship with you. God is hungry. For fellowship. There's an interesting verse in Revelation 3.20, it's very familiar, talking about Jesus. The thing that makes this interesting is He's not saying this to the world, He's saying it to the church. Revelation 3.20, He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What is that knocking? It is the righteousness of God working in a person's spirit. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him, I will sup with him, and he with me. There will be a fellowship. There will be a communion. You will begin to feed off one another. And many times we fail to realize in the same way we feed off the presence of God. God feeds off of our presence. And to withhold ourselves from the presence of God is like a person that's being starved so that he dies. God wants to fellowship with you. God desires your presence. And when you begin to study the righteousness of God and you feel that drawing into the presence of God, one of the first questions that hits your mind is, why would God want anything to do with me? That's where faith comes in. (laughs) And it takes faith to say, Yes, God enjoys me coming into His presence. God wants me to come into His presence. The just shall live by faith. The whole message of righteousness is the message of come. 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 (laughs) Come into the presence of God. 
And when you begin to realize that, you begin to study the Word of God, that word come will just begin to stand out all over the Scriptures. We looked at a Scripture last week in Genesis 7-1, where God spoke to, to Noah and said, Come into the ark! God didn't say go, He said come. Noah built the ark and then God indwelt it and said come. Come into my presence. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And you become one who comes to God, not just somebody who withdraws from God. You come into His presence. Back up here to Hebrews. You're right there in Hebrews 10. Back up to the first verse again. First verse of, of Hebrews 10. I, I've shared this with you before, but let me, let me bring it out to you again. It says, For the law. Now this is talking about the law of Moses and all of the sacrificial system. The shedding of animal blood and all that kind of thing. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices or those animal sacrifices which they offered year by, the, year, by year continually make the comers... Who is that? Comers. Make the comers thereunto perfect or complete. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged, should have no more conscience of sins. And as I shared with you last week, to be a worshiper of God is one who comes to God. A comer and a worshiper are one and the same. And Jesus said in John 4, 23, He said, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. The Father is looking for those that will come to Him. How can we do that? We do it in the righteousness of God. But He says in verse 38, Now the just shall live by faith, or they come to God. But if any man draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. They didn't say God wouldn't love you. But you're not giving God any pleasure when you're not willing to come to Him and fellowship with Him. And with that in mind, I gave you another definition of righteousness. Let me share this with you. And in fact, I, I modified it a little bit. Righteousness is also the desire and the ability to please God. Righteousness is the desire and the ability to please God. I want to please God. That's the voice of righteousness. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 39. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition or destruction, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul... Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh, 
By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now, I shared this with you last week, but let me bring it up to you again. Notice in verse 4, it talking about Abel. It says, "...by which he obtained witness that he was righteous." Then in verse 7, talking about Noah says he became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. But in between Abel and Noah, you got Enoch. And Enoch, it doesn't say that he was righteous, but it does say by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. Well, he's saying the same thing, just different terminology. Righteousness creates the desire and the ability to please God. And Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. How did he please God? Well, verse 6 tells you. Says by, well, verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was translated. Well, not only by faith was he translated, by faith he pleased God. So in verse 6, it says, But without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that cometh, he that cometh to God, must believe that he is, and believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We use that verse a lot of times just out of context. Well, without faith you can't please God. That's absolutely the truth. But the faith that pleases God is not just faith that's believing for things and for stuff. Faith that pleases God is faith that says, I will come to God. And I will come into His presence. And Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. In Genesis' account of, of Enoch's life, Genesis 5, 22-24, he only had three, three verses in the Old, Old Testament. But boy, he left a mark. It says, And Enoch walked with God. After that he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. To walk with God and please God are all one and the same. I made this statement to Cindy probably a week or two ago now. We were talking about things that we were called to do, and I shared with her, I said, what if the only thing we were called to do was just walk with God? That would eliminate a lot of hassle. Trying to figure out, well, am I called to do this? Am I supposed to do that? Should I do this? Should I do that? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm called to do this. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. No, I think I just, Lord, I'm just going to walk with you today. That just relieves a lot of burden. And you know what? When you just start choosing to walk with God on a daily basis, all that other stuff begins to come into line. 
And like I shared with you last week, when you look at the life of Enoch, Enoch just walked with God, pleased God, worshiped God, talked to God, fellowshiped with God, just pleased God, walked with God, fellowship with God, worshiped God, walked with God, talked with God, fellowship with God, walked with God, stayed in God's presence, worshiped God, spent time with God, walked with God, till finally he just, just left. Guess how we're going to be raptured? Where does all that stem from? Righteousness. Righteousness. So Enoch just walked with God, pleased God. And by faith, he was translated. Faith to come to God. And then we come in verse 7 to Noah. It says, By faith Noah... Being warned of thing, of, warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Notice where we're going to begin to camp out a little bit here and talk about him. Noah pleased God. Genesis 6 9 talking about Noah says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man. He was a righteous man and perfect or complete in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Noah pleased God. Noah fellowshiped with God. The Bible says in 2 Peter 2, 5, talking about Noah, says, God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. A preacher of righteousness. What's the message of righteousness? Come. Come. That ark would have accommodated everybody. Come. Come. Actually, if the people would have listened to Noah and repented, the flood never would have come, at least not in judgment. It would have come in blessing. But they didn't have an ear to hear. But Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah preached to his generation to come to God. And he prepared an ark. I shared this with you last week, but let me bring it up to you again. This is very important. God did not build Noah's ark. Noah did. Noah built the vehicle of his own deliverance. Now, God gave him the wisdom to do it, but Noah was responsible to build the ark himself. Now, we build our own ark. Did you know that? We're responsible to build our own deliverance. You know how we do that? We do it by the words of our mouth. Noah used a hammer. We use our tongue. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved or delivered. And I don't have my verse, so I'll quote it to you. Verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I want you to listen very carefully. <clears throat> I shared this with you last week, but I want to take this a little different direction. There is a principle of habitation. Very important. Noah built the ark, then God indwelt it. 
Moses built the tabernacle, then God indwelt it. Solomon built the temple, then God indwelt it. You're going to build the ark of your deliverance with your own words, and as you do, God will indwell it. God will inhabit it. Spiritual houses are built with words. Back up to Hebrews 3. You're right there in Hebrews 11. Back up to Hebrews 3. Aren't we the temple of the Holy Ghost? Sure we are. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ, as a son over His own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence. That word confidence in the Greek could be translated boldness. You may have that in your translation. But the literal Greek says that that word for boldness literally is liberty of speech whose house we are if we hold fast our liberty of speech and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. We are the house of the anointing. We are the house. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But the the, the Spirit of God will indwell the temple only to the degree that we speak what He said. We make that determination. Spiritual houses are built with words. Let me come at this from the negative angle. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11 for just a second. Luke chapter 11. Don't you see this from the negative side? Luke chapter 11, in Luke chapter 11, (laughs) the Pharisees were, were blaming Jesus or accusing Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, or the Lord of flies is what that name means. Jesus is responding... And in verse 20, he begins to teach a little bit in his response. Verse 20, he said, But if I with the finger of God cast out devils or demons, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his manner wherein he trusted and divideth his spoil. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Verse 24 says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house. Whence I came out, and when he cometh, he findeth it empty, or he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and that they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse, worse than the first. Now, Jesus is talking here about the body. Demon spirits have the idea that the physical body is their house. 
A lot of that has to do with the fact that they're disembodied spirits, but that's another thing. But... (coughs) (laughs) Back in the early 70s, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1972... Cindy was baptized in the Holy Spirit back in 1976. And back when we were filled with the Holy Spirit, it was very, very popular for people to play around with the ministry of deliverance. There was a lot of people that just basically did a lot of hanky-panky trying to get those things to manifest, and they did. If you want to show, Satan will give you one. So, a lot of people would play around with trying to get spirits to talk through people and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and one of the things that got out back then was, <laughs> you better watch out. You don't watch out, one of them demons will jump on you. <laughs> no, they won't. Not if you know how to plead the blood. And on top of that, listen to this very carefully. A spirit cannot inhabit your body till he first inhabits your words. Do you hear that? A spirit can't inhabit your body till he first inhabits your words. We build our spiritual houses with our words. We determine what spirits influence our life, whether holy or unholy, by the words that come out of our mouth. Because we're either building a dwelling place with our words for God, or we're building a dwelling place for the enemy. One of the two. But we build the house with our words. And Noah built an ark and God indwelt the ark. Let's go back over there to Hebrews. God indwelt the ark and said, Come into my presence. Do you realize that Noah was working against a deadline and knew it? There was a point where Noah started running out of time. Now the thing, the reason, the way that relates to us, Jesus said in Luke 17, 26, He says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming, or the days of the Son of Man. Another, uh, another gospel says the days of the coming of the Son of Man. We're at a point where we're beginning to run out of time. And I think we're beginning to run out of time corporately as the body of Christ. I think there are some things where this community is concerned we're running out of time. A lot of ways. A lot of respects. The same thing was true with Noah. Noah started running out of time. He was working on a deadline. So I want to share a little bit with you about time and righteousness. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. 
talking about fallen spirits in verse 20 of chapter 3, says, "...which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water." There was a time period. There was a time frame involved here. But he says here in verse 20, says, whom, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. The long-suffering of God waited. I'll just go ahead and give you this scripture. Genesis 6, 3. God said, says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with men, for that he also is flesh. Yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. In other words, from the time the judgment came, that the earth would be flooded to the time it actually was flooded, was a hundred and twenty years. Okay? So there was a time period, there was a time frame. The ark was being prepared. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Come, come, during this time frame. But I want you to see this. This period of time, he said, when once the the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah... Time is not just a unit of measure. Time is a manifestation of the long-suffering of God. Take a note of that. Time is a manifestation of the long-suffering of God. Now, if you're taking notes, look at that word long-suffering there for just a second. Uh, it's the Greek word, Greek word macrothumia. Let me just spell it. It's M-A-K-M-A-K-R-O-T-H-U-M-I-A. M-A-K-R-O-U... Uh, excuse me. M-A-K-R-O-T-H-U-M-I-A. Macrothumia. Long-suffering, long-tempered. Just to give you an idea uh, of what I'm, uh, I'm trying to say to you, do you remember the story? Jesus told a parable one time and He said there was a, a, a servant that owed a king 10,000 talents. You remember that? Which would equate to millions of dollars in our economy. And so the king brought... Uh, this steward before himself, and that steward cried out. Matthew eighteen twenty six says, The servant, or steward, therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience. That's the Greek word macrothumia. Have long-suffering. Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. This guy owed millions of dollars in debt. Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Have long-suffering, have macrothumia with me, and I will pay thee all. What was he asking for? Time. He wanted more time. So long-suffering is equated with time. 
Time is a manifestation of the long-suffering of God. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in our day. Now there'll come a time when God, because of the divine timetable that He established before the foundation of the world, there'll be a point where God will say, no more time. But right now we're still in the long-suffering of God. Now just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in our day. God extended His long-suffering to the generation of Noah for two things. Number one, so that the men or the people of that generation would have the opportunity to repent. And number two, so that Noah, who was a righteous man, could finish his work. I want to finish. I want to finish what I'm called to do. Let me say, share this with you. I, I shared earlier about Jonathan and what the Lord had shared with me. Of course, he was only 17 years old. I had the Lord say this to me. This has been a couple of three years ago. God said, with long life will I satisfy you. God does want us to live long upon the earth. But let me tell you something. It's not a matter of whether your life is long or short. It's a matter of whether or not you finish. Okay? Say, well, uh, give me an example. How about Abel? He wasn't ever able to get married. There was no descendants of Abel ever but he still fulfilled God's purpose. He still finished. And so, I want to finish. And in order to finish, it's going to take time. It's very interesting to realize, if for just as another illustration of, of, um, of time and, and the long-suffering of God, do you remember when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And he went to Abraham and he told him what he was going to do. And Abraham began to pray and intercede. And, and God started. He said, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare the city? He said, I'll spare the city. And, God, and Abraham got him all the way from 50 down to 10. I think if, if Abraham would have said, just spare the city regardless, God would have. I really believe that. But I don't think Abraham had the nerve <laughs> to go that far. But the thing that's interesting is the fact that if God would have found ten what? Righteous. He would have done what? Give Sodom and Gomorrah more time. So there's a direct connection and relationship between righteousness, the long-suffering of God, and time. Can we have an effect on time? I believe we can. I believe we can have an effect on time in our personal lives. I, can, I believe that we ha can have an effect on time where the judgment of God is concerned. The key to it is the fact... Let me see if I can find it because I got these out of order. Proverbs 2.7 says, He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. 
use a buckler to them that walk uprightly. God gave Noah the assignment to build the ark as a righteous man and then gave him the wisdom or the instruction on how to do it. And let me show you something interesting about wisdom. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Y'all still with me or we good? All right, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 15. Uh, yeah, verse 13. Let's read it too. Verse 13. Happy is the man, blessed is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding, for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things that thou canst desire not to be compared unto her. Verse 16, length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Notice that when a man begins to walk in wisdom, it'll give him length of days. That's interesting. Now, there's actually a dual meaning to that. If you walk in the wisdom of God, it will increase your lifespan. Now, there, to clarify something here, there is a misunderstanding that there is an appointed time to die. And people are stupid enough to go around, well, it was just His time. There is no set time. The Bible does not say that there's a time to die or an appointed time to die. It says that it is appointed unto man once to die. Not a time to die, but once to die and after that the judgment. There are certain things you can do that will shorten your life and there's things that you can do that you can lengthen your life. One of them, one of them is have wisdom. <laughs> but I think there's a dual meaning here. Not only will walking in wisdom increase your lifespan as far as number of years in the earth, but it will actually have an effect on time so that you can get more done with the time that you have. How many of you need a 32-hour day? <laughs> How does that work? Well, I don't know. <laughs> but I will say this to you, that time is not just a natural thing. Time is spiritual. Time is elastic. I don't know about you, but I've, I've had situations where an hour, an hour went by like that. I've had other times where it seemed like every minute was a century. Because time is elastic. And let me just say this to you. That time, that time is not just limited to the earth. There's time in heaven. Did you know that? So there ain't no time in heaven. Oh yeah, there is. If I can get there. Aha, there it is. Revelation 8.1 says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. There's still time measurement in heaven. Time is still there. One major difference is the fact that they're not limited to time like you and I are. Now, I've shared this with you all before. 
But let me bring it up to you again because a lot of you haven't heard this. Time in the earth is limited, or man is limited in the sphere of time in the earth because of judgment. Because of the judgment of God and the fall of man, time in the earth is totally linear. Okay? In other words, a person is born into the earth, and like you have what you call a timeline, and you have a person born in the earth at point A, and all they can do is just walk the timeline until they get to point B and they die. Can't go back. Can't do that. Sometimes you'd like to. A lot of things you'd like to fix. Can't do that. But you can cry out for the mercy of God to reconcile it. So we're tied. I don't have time to get into this judgment aspect of time. It all goes back to the fall of Lucifer and different things, but that's not where I want to go. I, you just It doesn't take rocket science to figure out that we are headed on a timeline. We're going through time and we're on a linear, uh, linear aspect of time that we're not going to get off of. Even if you don't do anything, you just go sit down in a chair, you're still going through time. And at some point, you'll leave. But I want you to realize that time in the realm of the Spirit is not just linear. There's a linear aspect to it, but people that have gone on to heaven are not limited to linear time. They don't go through time like you and I go through time. Time in the realm of the Spirit, I learned this from an astrophysicist, by the way. Time in the realm of the Spirit is not just linear, time is planal. In other words, as you're going through time uh, in the realm of the Spirit, you're not limited to just walk in this line of time. time uh, let me say it for the sake of the CD so I can illustrate this. If time runs north and south, linear, in the realm of the Spirit, it not only runs north and south, it can run east and west. So that in the realm of the Spirit... You can go as far east or as far west as you want to go and never have an effect on linear time. That's why you can get into the presence of God and be in the presence of God for days, weeks, however long you're in the presence of God and come back and not one second of time has elapsed upon the earth. There was a, there's a book out. It's been retitled, but it's by a lady by the name of Rebecca Springer. The old title is called Within Thy Gates, but like I said, it's been retitled. I don't remember the new title. But this lady was in a comatose state for three days. This is at the turn of the century. She was in a, uh, uh, from 18th, to, uh, excuse me, from the 1800s not to the 1900s, around that area. She was in a comatose state for three days. She finally came out of it. But while she was in a comatose state for three days on the earth, she went and spent three years in heaven. Now, how'd that happen? She didn't just go north and south, she went east and west. That's a marvelous thing. See, the fact that time is is not just linear, but also planal, that's what gives uh, the realm of the Spirit its eternal aspect. Because you can go one way or the other. You take a person that dies, for example, and goes to hell. They could spend 10,000 years in hell and one second has elapsed on the earth. That's scary.
That's scary. But time is elastic. Time is linear. Time is planal. And we can have an effect on time. I don't necessarily understand it, but in the hand of wisdom is length of days. In other words, as we as the righteousness of God, as we begin to seek the wisdom of God, we can have an effect on our daily lives in relation to time. So that we get more done in the time that we have. I don't know if God is able to stretch those minutes out or if somehow by the wisdom of God we step over into that planal aspect. I don't know which. But length of days is in the hands of wisdom. And let me tell you something, we're going to need that. We're running out of time. We're going to need that. See, because Jesus made this statement in Matthew 24. He said, the days will be shortened for the elect's sake. Now, what does that mean? Well, you need to understand something. That God is light. And the closer you get to light, the greater degree it has an effect on time. We're on a collision course with light Himself. And because we're on a collision course with light Himself, time as a whole, as a unit, is compressing together and time is getting faster. And if you sit back and say, My, 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 where did this past year go? Well, what happened? We're getting closer to light and time is becoming more compressed. You still have 24 hours a day, but it still feels all scrunched together. You follow that? But when we begin to tap into the wisdom of God, we can step over into that area where we can extend and expand our time so that we as the righteousness of God can get our job done. Also, not only that, as we step into the wisdom of God, particularly in intercessory prayer, as we pray and intercede and seek the face of God, we can actually grant people more time through prayer and intercession. You can see it all over the Scriptures that in prayer and in intercession, people were given more time. Time to repent. Time to change. Let me show you some scriptures. Turn with me to Psalm 90. Or I may have it on the, on the board. Let me see. I don't remember. No, I don't. Psalm 90. Go over there. Psalm 90. All of this is part of the righteousness of God. Psalm 90 and verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Wisdom will have an effect on time. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. 
Let me read it to you out of the King James. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. It says, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Evil will steal your time. But wisdom you can buy back. You can redeem your time. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Let me read it to you out of the Amplified. Amplified in Ephesians 5 says this. Look carefully then how you walk. Or you say it this way. Look carefully then how you please God. Live purposefully and worthily and accurately. Not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people making the very most of the time. Buying up each opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understanding and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is that we finish our assignment, that we finish what God has called us to do. Well, how are we going to have an effect on time? Well, one of the ways that we have an effect on time is with our prayer life. James chapter 5 and verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer will buy you time. Time in His presence will buy you time. Um, i trying to think of his name. Uh, George Mueller. The guy started out with nothing, built and supported 22 orphanages all over England for years and years and years and years and years. And God blessed him so much, he gave away 90% of his income, lived on 10%. Supported orphanages all over England. Did it without debt. Did it believing God. Did it by prayer. He said, I can get far more done praying two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon than I can, and then six hours for work than I can working ten hours in a day. Said I can get far more done. Why? Because it was having an effect on his time. And what happens as you begin to walk with God? What happens as you begin to, to go into His presence and come to Him and fellowship with Him and walk with Him? The Amplified of Amos 3.3 says this, says, Do two walk together except they make an appointment and have agreed? King James says, How can two walk together except they be agreed? You begin to put His Word in your mouth. You begin to build that ark. You begin to build that place for God to inhabit. And God will have an effect on your time. And He will give you enough time to finish what He has called you to do. 
And I know what it's like. I'm 55 years old. I know what it's like to feel like I'm running out of time. I know what that feels like. But I want to tell you, God will give us enough time to do whatever it is we're called to do. I don't care if we're 136 years old. God will give us enough time to finish and fulfill what He's called us to do. Do you realize that Smith Wigglesworth didn't even get baptized in the Holy Ghost till he was 50 years old? Some of the men that have really changed this planet really didn't get going until they were in their 50s. Wigglesworth, Derek Prince, Kenneth Hagin was 50 years old before his ministry really did anything. You know why? Because they finally got to be a place of maturity where they could handle some things. <laughs> God told Lester Sumrall one time, Lester was in his 80s, and Lester said, I want to go home. God said, I don't want you to come yet. He said, God, why not? Why can't I come home? He said, because you're just now old enough that I can trust you with some things. <laughs> 80 years old. <laughs> but let me tell you something about that old man. When he died, when he died, a lady that we've known for many, many years, very, very influential in our ministry. In fact, we had her at our church in San Angelo twice. Uh, her name is Bobby Jean Merck. She was very, very close friends with Brother Summerall. And she went, before they had his funeral, she went uh, for the funeral. She went to the funeral home. And this woman is a powerhouse for God. She went into the funeral home and she asked if she could spend some time with Brother Summerall alone. So she walked in there and the Lord said, put your hand on his chest. She said, I put my hand on his chest. She said, I don't know if God, God was going to raise him up or what I was going to have. She said, I put my hand on his chest. said, the power of God hit me and nearly knocked me across the floor. Why? Because just like Elisha, there was so much power left in that guy's bones. <laughs> uh, but he finished. He finished. And we're going to finish what God has called us to do by God, by walking in righteousness. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus. I thank you. And I praise you that by the righteousness of God, you're moving supernaturally in control of our time so that we can finish what you've called us to do, so that we can get accomplished what you've called us to do. I'm asking you for each and every one of us, Father, particularly on a daily basis, that you begin to give us wisdom so that we can finish every day what you've called us to do. That we don't run out of time, but that we finish what you've called us to do. We finish our assignment. But not only that, we have enough time not only to finish the work, but we have enough time to rest and enjoy our lives. And Father, I thank you for it. I praise you for it. In Jesus' name.
In Jesus' name. Father, as your people give as they sow their seed today, I release my faith into their life that you begin to do a supernatural work on their time. Give them wisdom. Give them wisdom on how to handle the time that they have more efficiently. The Lord just spoke to me and said this. There is a direct connection between time and money. You hear the world say, time is money. Time and money are exactly alike in that that time and money can be saved. It can be spent. It can be wasted. That's true for both time and money. So... What I'm impressed of the Lord to do is this. Father, in Jesus' name, multiply back the tithes and the offerings back into the lives of your people with the most precious commodity there is, which is time. Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Anybody have anything?